You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. I'm so excited you're here today. Uh, This episode is going to be a lot of fun. Um, If you're just joining me, thank you. Thanks for checking out the show. And if you are returning, thank you so much for, uh, for being here. So today my guest is John Rocha, my arch nemesis in the movie trivia league that he and I play in also known as The Schmodown. Um, So, all right, Roka is a personality. He's an actor. He is a uh, commentator, and um, he is a movie trivia aficionado. Um, And he decided to talk about the Shawshank Redemption. Um, So you guys will hear that we'll get into it throughout this episode, but the Shawshank Redemption is a movie that actually I had never seen um, until he decided to pick it. And part of the reason why I hadn't seen it before was because I grew up in a time where the Shawshank Redemption came out in theaters Nobody really paid much attention to it. Yes, it had critical acclaim and um, and some awards recognition, but it sort of came and went and then uh, was everywhere on cable. And as a result, that movie was on all the time. And as a result, there is a whole generation of people, my generation, who especially young men who think that this movie is their favorite movie of all time and they think it is amazing and they think it's great. And there was just a little bit of a, you know, uh, rebellion in me where I kind of was like, well, then I'm not watching this. There's no way this movie is that great and I'm not going to see it. It's dumb. I know. Fully admit that. But I had never seen it. So I watched Shawshank Redemption um, and, you know, what ensued was a really, really cool conversation between me and John about this movie. And the bigger point I wanted to make as I lead you into this show is um, that, you know, the whole point of this show is really not debate. It's not I'm right and you're wrong. It's a discussion. The The point of this show is you don't know, we is appreciation, honestly. At the end of the day, that's the thing that I want people to take away, is an appreciation for a film that maybe they didn't think of before or maybe they now consider and go, huh, I need to, maybe I should revisit that, et cetera, et cetera. I am not, none of us are trying to convince you or convince the other person that we are talking to that I'm right and you're wrong or you're wrong, whatever it is. It's 
that's not the point of this. And I think what you'll see, and this this conversation between Roka and I is a great example of the fact that this is his favorite movie and he's seen it a million times. And, you know, I was coming to it through fresh eyes um, in 2017 in a completely different, uh, you know, entertainment landscape and political landscape that we were able to have this conversation and he brought up some things that I had never thought of before and I left the convert and I left the conversation having um you know a bigger appreciation for this film and conversely I mentioned a couple of things that he had never thought of before and maybe contributed to him having a different kind of appreciation or being able to appreciate certain things differently than maybe he had before Sounds like all the same words just wrapped up into different into different order, but I promise I was trying to say different things. Um, one thing, one bit of housekeeping that I need to mention before uh, we get into the show, and I'll keep it quick. Uh, first of all, I brought up the idea in this uh, episode that I would have liked to have seen Tom Hanks in the Andy Dufresne role. We'll get into that, um, and you'll hear an explanation and a discussion about that. For you nerds out there, I found out after the fact that Tom Hanks was offered the role. So there you go. Good casting instincts, right? Um, and finally, and maybe most importantly, um, about half an hour in, uh, Roka and I start talking about the character of Red and I bring up the idea about Red and him being African-American in the film and I raise the question how does nobody really pay that much attention to his race in the film knowing full well that Stephen King as an author has never shied away from talking about race and um, the relationship between between people in that in that respect. Um, I found out after the fact that in the novella, Red is Irish, so he is not African-American, and therefore it would not have been written into the novella that uh, any commentary or conversation about Red's race. Therefore, I am amending my conversation uh, that you're about to hear and say that my issues um, are more issues with Darabont's screenplay and as a director as opposed to Stephen King's source material, which perfectly and excitingly uh, connects to the part of the conversation where we discuss the Green Mile. Okay, got all that? confusing? <laughs> It'll all make sense in a minute. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on your podcast app. And if you can rate and review the show, that's a huge, huge help that doesn't cost you anything. And if you are so inclined, there is a Patreon that is tied to this show, and you can find it at uh, patreon.com slash Clark Wolf. Um, there's all sorts of video content up there, prizes. There are bonus mini episodes that come out every Thursday. Um, so if you can, there's contribution levels from $1 a month to $50 a month. So uh, if you can kick in anything, that's great too. Um, but if not, that's also fine. I'm just happy to have you. Okay, everybody, here is my conversation with John Roca about the Shawshank Redemption. And thank you for doing this. Oh no, this is great. I over appreciate the break. Yeah, sure. I'm very excited. It's uh, been a nice rest, so to do something work-wise. 
Yeah. Uh, like this is exciting. So it's, it, you know, I was starting to get a little antsy yesterday. Like I'm not doing anything. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. The holiday, you know, it's funny because that's usually the thing that I love about the holidays yeah. in LA is, um, the, the, how everything slows down, but then right. it, it, but then this year, man, it just, it was yeah. like, nah. And, and also this year it didn't slow for me. It didn't slow down. Mm. Um, oh. that's not to say like, Oh, I'm so busy with work. It just was a lot of little things mm -hmm. that came up that there was no break, oh, wow. you know? And, um, which is, fine but on the other hand i'm kind of just like well i would have really liked to <laughs> that's kind of the whole point of this is yeah. like you know of staying but um but anyway so uh but thanks for doing it yeah sure <laughs> and um all right so you ready to roll yeah do you want to just lay like what what can i well, i'll just ride with you yeah, i'll just ride, just with, ride you. with you with me. let's do it because you know all what right. it's um this is i always tell people um this is not a history lesson okay this is a conversation yeah that's it it's that simple. Okay. It's literally that simple. Let me pull up the um, movie on my phone. So while you're doing that, uh, I'm going to say that John Roca is here. And uh, if you guys watch the Schmodown or Collider video or a number of other things, you will recognize him, uh, my arch nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> Someday we'll meet. <laughs> I can't believe it's been almost two years and we've never met in the ring. It's uh, insane. I don't want to do it. Please. It's just, uh, Please. I don't want to do it. You're very good. Uh, yeah, I'm so rusty though. I mean, I feel like I haven't played in so long. And, oh, yeah. You know, um, um, yeah, and and now that I have no partner and yet, yeah. um, and all the things and and going <laughs> out of the spectacular just like last year, man, out in the yeah. first round and in very uh, difficult um, <laughs> situations <laughs> that maybe whatever it's fine. That was the easiest five point question. I will say that I was mad in the audience, not because I mean upsets are always fun sure, to sure. watch, and you hate being on the opposite side of it, of course, but like. That was the easiest five-point question in the history of mankind. It was. And also, a version of that question has been asked 900 <laughs> times in the Schmodown. You listening, Skaliski? Uh, yeah, Change I mean, I'm, the questions. I'm sorry, buddy. I know you are also my arch nemesis. <laughs> and it's real easy to be sitting on the other side criticizing, and I get it. I totally get it. But, like, man... That that was that was not uh, cool. So, <laughs> but say la vie, it is what it is. But your fan base is strong. Like people are always trying to put you in factions, right. or they're always trying to have dream matchups with you against other people. Right. And so that's no matter. So no matter what happens, people respect your intelligence and some people and your knowledge of film. Some people lose and they get super like nervous or scared that yeah. they're going to be like pushed out right. of the attention of the Schmodown fans. So they they gets they, when they lose they go into these deep spirals of depression, which people don't understand. Like people legitimately get super upset when they lose for days. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I. <sighs> <laughs> One day, one day, um, Christian Harloff will tell the tale of yeah. of uh, my my after my spectacular, my second spectacular loss oh, in the yeah. first round, uh, and uh, and I was I was he heard a lot of words <laughs> is what he heard, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's frustrating though because you know I've said it a million times, but like mm. there's no way you can prepare. Nope. you cannot prepare for it, and and when you're out there, it's like you're out there just. 
you know, and under the lights, literally and mm -hmm. figuratively, just waiting for anything to happen. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, and some games you get it, and some games you don't. You know, some yeah. it's just like sometimes you're like, okay, cool, this is in my wheelhouse, or I can pull it, pull it off. And then sometimes you don't. Yeah. And it's that true. it's just so frustrating. I know. Um, especially but, that third round, you just never know. I know the wheel yeah. has been was for a while. The wheel was your yeah. Speak of arch nemesis was the wheel, mm -hmm. and then. And it started turning towards you, but that third round, you just never know with numbers what's yes. going to come up and what's consistent. What uh, well, it's amazing. And you know, I know that there's going to be a lot of changes going. Not changes, but like yeah. Christian. One thing I love about well, he's not the commissioner anymore, or is he? I don't know. No, I can't. That is. Yeah. That's the commissioner, right? right. Um, but, but we know who the Vince McMahon is. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so, and so, you know, he's, a, but he is always, as the architect of mm -hmm. this game, he is always trying to improve it. Yes. And, um, and I think that in the new year, you know, that he's going to be really listening to suggestions and, yeah. and trying, and he always is open to suggestions, he obviously, is. with the clock or with, mm -hmm. you know, um, the, the, mo the same questions in round one, yep. uh, all that stuff. So, like, he is changing the game for the better and listening for the better um but i think that the round three he i know he's thinking about ways to like you yeah. know um improve the round three mm -hmm. and and i think i don't know but it's so hard to say like what would be the what would be ways you know to what's an what's a easy medium hard level question but right. i mean people do it all the time trivial pursuits been yeah. doing it for 60 years That's or however true. long you know what i mean so <laughs> like true. um and for our listeners who don't know what the hell we're talking about the schmodown <laughs> is a movie <laughs> really? trivia. yeah i mean you know you never know and and then that's great because actually true. if you're listening to this show you probably would enjoy the schmodown yeah. um but it is basically wrestling with movie trivia it's like that simple is professional wrestling with movie trivia right. and um and it's a fun game and we all take it real easy we really do <laughs> and, and everyone who claims for example my uh arch nemesis across the mic from me who claimed that other people that i took it too seriously <laughs> you know it's, i take it seriously you, too but not like you no no true that's true i'm very <laughs> what i am is competitive yeah. and i think that's where the lines get blurred yes. for me yeah, yeah, yeah. so um but i do also get over the losses quicker now that's good because uh because i've won the like yeah. winning yeah. the titles like puts you at ease when you lose because you're like uh but i've done it before exactly you know and so for people like you and rachel and uh uh, uh bibiani and other people who like and I mean, even mcweeney to a degree like you i see the anticipation and the anger the frustration like because you just want to get there one time yeah. and then whatever happens after that happens after that but there's just so i get it so it, yeah but i took it intensely because i just wanted to win it just once i know and yeah so and then when i did it it was fine but the level of in, the level of intensity varies depending on the person that's yeah. very true and you know yeah. what else it's an interesting thing because like i um uh gosh it's like you know sam and i who holds oh, yeah. the belt currently yeah. um have gone one-on-one -on -one and, yes. and he lost he did yes. not win and um <laughs> well sometimes you I, beat him is I, what you're trying I, well, to say <laughs> sometimes I, i'm hesitant to say that because Why? like you well, won. just because i know but like you know i think that some matches you win and some matches sure. th they lose mm -hmm. You know, it's oh, like, I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, yes. And so I don't know. I haven't revisited that one with Sam, but um, but uh, I 
Yeah, but but I mean, yeah, like there was, I don't know which one was which, if mm-hmm. he won, if, if I won or he lost. But regardless, um, and same with JTE, like yeah. I beat him one-on-one yeah. as well. And um, so to lose, to, or, or to, so they both hold belts. Yeah. And so you're just like, uh, mm-hmm. but it's just such a crapshoot. It really is. I mean, no one saw me beating Dan. No one. Right. And, and it's complete crapshoot. I, you know, it, so you never know what can happen yeah. and, and. But that's what the joy of the Shmoda. It's so, true. Anyway. It's true. So speaking of movie nerds, um, <laughs> so, so you, um, when when I asked you about coming on today, yeah. there were you had a handful of movies that you were considering. What a shock! Yeah, I'm too in depth into movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but the one you landed on was the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, Frank Darabont's 1994 movie. Um, and so just for our to put the stats on the board, I don't think anybody really cares about this, but it's just like. <laughs> Technically built into the rules of the podcast. Um, okay, so on AFI, it was ranked number 72 mm-hmm. on the 10-year revision list that came out in 1997. And uh, it is number three, uh, I'm sorry, 23 on the uh, AFI cheers list, which is like the most inspirational, oh, yeah. like, you know, like stand up and cheer kind of thing. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I think it does. Um, so I want to start. Mm-hmm. by asking you when you first saw Shawshank Redemption. I saw it in the theaters uh, in Virginia, if I remember correctly, uh, during a break on the weekend from my military service. Mm. So I was just at the mall, and, um, you know, it's weird to be in the military and you're the only movie geek who's not, you know, like, once you get past the Van Damme, Seagal movies, uh, in, my, in my experience, there weren't a lot of military guys who were going to see these kind of more artistic or inspirational type movies like this. So for me, I went by my, I used to go to movies by myself on the weekends. And so this is one that I remember going to see at a mall and just uh, being blown away by it because it had gotten such little buzz mm-hmm. and such little press because Tim Robbins at this time was just building. Like people forget Tim Robbins was a um, kind of an indie actor. Totally. You know, independent film actor like with Bob Roberts and these other things. He hadn't really blown up like mainstream. I mean, he was in Top Gun, but he's like in and out of Top Gun literally in two scenes. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out, I'm looking it up right now, yeah. when Dead Man Walking was. Well, that... Th- well, you mean Mystic River? Or do you mean Dead Man? No, because Dead Man Walking is Sean Penn. Oh, is it? Yeah, Sean Penn what with. Uh, I think? Yeah, with Susan Sarandon. Right, right, right. That's where I'm getting it confused. Yeah, Mystic River is the one that. Yes, but they did he was together. married or with yes, Susan Sarandon yes, at the he was. time, and right. I can't keep track of some. They they worked together a handful of times. Oh, sure. Obviously with uh, Bull Durham. Yes, um, Bull Durham was the other one that was he was big. Yeah, for, yeah that's right. But um, okay, so so Tim Robbins, yeah, he yeah. wasn't like this. Um, he wasn't considered to be um like a neck. Uh, technically, like a like an A list, right? Like an A lister, not necessarily. Right. And Morgan Freeman was part of it, who I'd always been a fan of since three since Electric Company when he was doing that kid stuff. And then uh, it was based on a Stephen King book, which had been a big deal for me growing up, reading a lot of Stephen King. And mm-hmm. I remember reading this short story, and I was surprised when it was uh, announced that it was going to be a two and a half hour movie almost. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how did they take this small story and turn it into two and a half hour movie? So yeah, I was excited to go see it. And when I came out of the theater, I, I just remember just falling in love with that movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's what I would say. Well, so fun fact. Yeah. Um, Dead Man Walking, he produced. Oh, there we go. And, uh, and wrote. Wow. Uh, but it was 1995, so yeah. it was after. So yeah. my, so I got my dates wrong anyway. <laughs> Movie release dates, not my, not my strong suit. Um, okay, but yeah, and so 
had you read this novella? Yes. You had read yeah, it? Yeah, I had. Because I, because I went through a period in my teen years where I read, I was just voracious. I just had read just about everything Stephen King did and the Richard Bachman stuff, which he did under a pseudonym. Yes, yes, of course. So everything that was available in the library, I would get my hands on and read um, and go through it all. And this was a story that I read. And it was a really sweet story and a good story. But um, I was really surprised at what they were able to do with the movie with that story in a movie, like how deep they got, how horrific they got, and uh, how unsettling was some of the actual truths of prison mm -hmm. that they got. And so it was a pretty powerful film. Well, and Frank Darabont at this time, mm. it's, it's funny to look at his um, directing credits because, yeah. so for horror nerds like me, we know that he wrote on a bunch of genre things, Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors oh, wow. being one of them. Right. Um, but as far as a director goes, these are his credits before the Shawshank Redemption, a short film, a TV movie, Stephen King's Night Shift Collection, which mm. had a runtime of 58 minutes, <laughs> and then The Shawshank Redemption. Wow. And uh, so, you know, and I, I know that Stephen King is kind of notoriously hands off with mm -hmm. the making of his movies. Like sometimes people consult him. We saw recently, you know, um, him giving high praise to it before it yeah. came out and stuff yep. like that. But we also know that with The Shining, for example, um, which I'm not sure if by the time this goes live, if Ooh. my episode with Miri Jedekin about The Shining is gonna be up. Nice. But, um, so stay tuned or go listen to it. One or the <laughs> other. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, and famously criticized, you know, Kubrick's adaptation. Yes, he did, um, he which hated it. Scott Mance said, I think in a great way, and I'm sure he, you know, heard this from someone else, but it's a, The Shining is, a he thinks, a great film, a bad adaptation which I think is spot on. Like oh, yes. It's a terrible adaptation of the movie, right. but as book, a movie, right, yeah. or yes, exactly, of the book, but as a movie, it stands on its own. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, so I wonder though, to bring it back to the Stephen King of it mm -hmm. all, if because Darabont had this genre background mm -hmm. and had worked on a Stephen King property before, mm -hmm. maybe that's why he was able, because he wrote and directed this. This is yeah. a big, I mean, and this is not a small movie. Nope. And even though, you know, Tim Robbins wasn't like, as, as we talked about, not necessarily an A-lister, I mean, this is not a, this is a pretty big thing. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty, I was kind of surprised. And then the next thing he did was the Green Mile. Right, another Stephen King. Yes. Yeah. So um, before we like get into the, the you know, like little moments of um, Shawshank, mm -hmm. um, one of the things, so I'll tell our listeners, I had never seen this movie all the way through until <laughs> last night. What? Yeah. And it was a movie that for my generation mm -hmm. was on cable all the time. Oh yeah, it's a TNT staple. So this is, I wanna talk about that. Okay. I wanna talk about the, 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 a generation mm -hmm. that grew up with this movie on television all the time. <laughs> because for instance, um, It's a Wonderful Life, mm -hmm. famous flop when it came out, yeah. NBC got the rights and started just putting it on every Christmas. Right. And now, holiday classic, one of the greatest movies of all time. Well, that's not 100% true okay. with It's a Wonderful Life. It was absolutely a flop when it first came mm -hmm. out, but what happened was they oh, let yes. the rights expire, expire yes. so anybody could, so you could right. see It's a Wonderful Life 10 times a day uh -huh. on different stations. And it that's what really built up the Hollywood class 
classic. And then NBC saw that, bought the rights, right. and now they only show it exclusively on Christmas Eve or Christmas night. Sure. So that's but it but that's how it did become a Hollywood classic was everyone playing it. But now NBC turns it into a Hollywood classic by making it an event every week, every uh, year. Sure. Right. So that so, makes sense. But yeah. the the idea that it was on television yes. all the time right. after being a theatrical non-success. Yes. Um, is very interesting to me. And now, granted, Shawshank Redemption was nominated for seven Oscars, so it did get some Oscar love it did. Um, in terms of nominations. Um, but I wonder how much of the reverence for this film comes from the fact that, you know, it's on TV always. Yeah. And, and so, it, you know, as I said, generations of people who have access to cable television, whether that's young people, whether that's teenagers, mm -hmm. whether that's adolescent, you know, and so on, like it's them seeing it over and over again. Do you think that that, do you think that that has anything to do with it? Well, I think it's a valid uh, argument to make. Uh, what's interesting though, I would say is there are only certain films that get screened over and over and over again on certain channels. And I think it's because they consistently receive uh, attention they and know their viewership. Audience. They know their audience, totally. right, exactly. Yes. And I think this film, you, was not a box office success. Mm -hmm. It did get nominated. So a lot of critics contend this mm -hmm. should have won Best Picture over Forrest Gump. Sure. Same year. Uh, but um, I think what this is one of those films that, and I want to say this correctly, but this is one of those films that men gravitate to. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and, and this, I'm not trying to be misogynistic in any way, shape, or form, but I think there are just no. some movies that are for certain genders. And uh, Shawshank is certainly very male-based. There are no women in the movie other than the beginning. Right. And everything is like people gravitate to this, uh, to his journey. Yes. Right? And what he goes through. And because a lot of us think... We're Tim Robbins when we watch the movie. A lot of us think we can be Morgan Freeman when we watch the movie, but we've been through this, you know, and the generations of men that are represented in prison. So I think that's what it is. And I think because it's on TV all the time, people rediscover it or people discover it for the first time and watch it themselves or with their friends or with their kids or whatever or their family members. And it the reason it, it it's one of those ones that if, if you flip onto it, you are stuck there for an hour. If you if you like it, it's one of these ones that contracts. But I think what you may I think you make a great point though, Clark, is because it is on TV so much people have access to it and rediscover it and revere it over and over and over again. And it never loses its magic for those of us who love the film. Yes. And I think that but you know it's a great point but, to make. But I'm I'm so glad that you brought up that this is a as Sam Levine would say a man movie. Yes. Um Very because it is very, very, very much about uh, a specific kind of gentleman's or man's journey. Yeah. And, um, and I found myself, you know, uh, I found myself really thinking about that. It, this is anecdotal, but it's... So this became one of the things actually like the notebook mm -hmm. for me okay. because I've never seen the notebook <laughs> and everybody's like what no it's such a great movie you know and, and it's so oh you have to see it and I just got to a point where I was like no I don't want to leave me alone I will not go with the herd <laughs> exactly and so Shawshank was one of those movies where um was always on in the background at my house. My dad, I think I told you this when we did your episode, my episode of Outlaw Nation, yeah. but Gladiator, it's like Gladiator, oh, yeah. The Godfather, mm -hmm. and uh, Shawshank are always on TNT. <laughs> and so my dad, if he's watching TV, it's one of those three movies. <laughs> um, and so uh, and so it was on in the background, but it just got to this point where I was like, hey, I don't want to watch that. Mm. And then it got to this point where, like if I was online dating and a guy had that Shawshank Redemption <laughs> was his favorite, 
favorite movie. I was like, we are not going out. Nope. <laughs> we have nothing in common, which is just a stupid, like a very stupid generalization. <laughs> but I will say my generation, and I think the generation um, that is a little older than me, mm-hmm. like, there are so many men who say this is their favorite movie of mm-hmm. all time. Now, um, I watched this movie and very much enjoyed a handful of the scenes. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a very good, if not great film. Yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if it is the 72 best American movie of wow. all time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I would put it higher. Whoa, of all time. Yeah. Oh, all wow. Time. Where would you put it in terms of Probably like... Probably in the 50s or 40s. Okay. I would put it high. There's a lot on that list that I would move around. Sure, of course. Which I've discovered as I do the cinephiles with Steve. Like there are... Like Casablanca to me yeah. should be removed out of the top 10, from my opinion. Sam Levine says the same thing. Yeah, it does not hold up. There's a lot of holes in it. There are a lot of issues with Elsa's journey, a lot of issues with... Uh, Claude Rains' character being just kind of blown off the terrible things he does. And, you know, so there's a lot about Cosmo. So there's a number of movies that are Gone with the Wind, absolutely, like down in the 70s for me. Whoa. It's not a film I, I enjoy in any way, shape, or form. And so so there, uh, to me, I would move it up higher. But that's, of course, personal taste. Oh, yeah, totally. But also the quality of the film. And you're right. This is incredible to talk about how Darabin had done nothing feature film-wise. So even let you think this was possible from him mm-hmm. and him to make the jump and do it so well and have the balls to do a two and a half hour movie about yeah. this and get it through the studio and have the studio approve it and then release it is incredibly amazing. And so that needs to be revered and looked at as well in consideration for the film as move as moving up in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it's that's yeah. Well, this is this is uh, so many great segues because <laughs> the next thing I want to talk about is what you said just a minute ago mm-hmm. about 1994 and Forrest Gump yeah. and Best Picture. Mm-hmm. So, when I was watching this movie, um, and and by the way, it has nothing to do with Tim Robbins as a person or mm-hmm. as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was watching this movie, I had such a hard time relating or enjoying Andy Dufresne. Uh, wow. Like I, I had such a hard time with him. Right. Um, now, that didn't mean I didn't like him. Right. It just meant that I found it very challenging to be invested in him uh-huh. emotionally. Now, to be fair, they say many times in this film that he's cold, mm-hmm. that he's icy. Um, he even says, it's my my wife's dead because of me. Like yeah. what she did. Later and on I, the film. Yeah, and I was really glad. <clears throat> oh, spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll like- do it. <laughs> You know, they know, but people listen to this. <laughs> it's a very good point. If, if you haven't people, seen this thing, if I mean. people listen, they know that we're diving into the movie. And I'll be sure to put that in the introduction because, yeah, there are some big spoilers in this. Um, but he, uh, that was one thing that I did appreciate because as a, as a, you know, movie watcher, I noticed that there were no men in this movie, which is totally fine. No uh, women. Uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. No women. Um, there, there are also no women in John Carpenter's The Thing. And if people listen to this mm-hmm. movie, they, or this show, they know I love it. But, right. um, I really appreciated that that was written into the script that even though she was having an affair, he never, Andy mm-hmm. never painted her in this light of like, she deserved to get killed. Like, of course he was mad at her. Of yeah. course he was hurt. Of course he was sad. Of course, and of course he loved her. Yeah. But he, he was like, that. I couldn't show it. Mm-hmm. And this is my fault. And I still love her. And she was still the prettiest woman I ever saw, or whatever the yeah. exact lines are. Yeah. And I really appreciated that because it would have been so easy um to and and knowing Stephen King's writing, yeah. to be honest with you, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, which I'll get into in a second. But uh, but yeah, I really appreciated that little bit. And um, about him. It's a deceptively 
advanced movie psychologically. Absolutely. And I think that's why uh, it appeals to so many people the way it does. And yes, it's a man movie, but like you said, there are moments where the the man is not, it's not just like walking around like Van yes, Damme or totally. seeing like, well, you know, I do, you know, uh, I'm going to fight the system. Yep. He is constantly having to swallow his words, take shit for the greater journey, for the bigger, the greater good. It isn't until the absolute end that he realizes there is no other way out than to take this chance because he cannot stay in this situation any longer. Mm-hmm. Once he knows fully, 100%, he's innocent, mm-hmm. there is no one that, that he cannot be taken out of prison, that hope that he had, which he talks about from the beginning, mm-hmm. gets removed by the warden then he knows he has to do something more extreme. He has to, for the first time in his life, become a proactive participant in his life. And I think that's what's important throughout the whole movie. And I think the reason he's written this way, Clark, is important because because he is so cold at times or aloof or removed, we get to put our things on him, our Mm, thoughts on him, our ideas, our perspective, and put characteristics of ourselves onto him. He's almost like a blank slate so that we can follow his journey. You know, Red is the, really the redeeming, per, the hero of the movie mm-hmm. is Red, is Morgan Freeman, because as a subplot, it all of a sudden becomes the plot, you know, near the end when he gets uh, paroled. But with Andy, Andy is the one who's taking us and showing us that he, you can find hope even in the darkest of places, mm-hmm. but, even in, but even then, you still have to be proactive at the end to find your happiness. And that's what he does at the end. And I think this whole thing where he takes responsibility for what he did to his wife or mm-hmm. like understanding that, and it took 19 years for him to right. realize, you know, I, I'm to blame for this, even mm-hmm. though I may not have pulled the trigger, I pulled the trigger emotionally and that's my fault. Right. And that's not a lot of films that deal with the end of relationships, loss of relationships, have men owning up Absolutely. to their behavior for their shit. Yeah. And that's really important. Yes, it is. And and so in 1994, Forrest Gump won yeah. the Best Picture yeah. and uh, Oscar. And I found myself thinking, I would have really liked to have seen Tom Hanks in this role. Ooh. Like what What a div- And now here's why. Mm, okay. I want to posit this to you. No, this is good. This, I like this. Okay. Um, because, and I know a lot of stand-up comedians like hate the movie Punchline, mm. but I love oh, yeah. it because he is so good in it. Right. And I love it because Tom Hanks does something in Punchline that I don't feel like I see hardly ever, mm-hmm. which is turn off a part of his personality. Mm-hmm. It's not about transforming and becoming another person. It's like he's Tom Hanks, but not charming. Right. He's Tom Hanks, but not everyone's favorite dad. Mm-hmm. And there's a mean streak to that character in Punchline. And that's why I love it. Mm-hmm. That's why I love that performance. And so what I was thinking was, you know, Punchline's like 1988, 89-ish. Yeah. Um, and this is 94. To see, to imagine someone like Tom Hanks in this role doing something very different would yeah. have been there were moments and scenes where I was like, I know that I would feel more for Andy, even if I don't like him, because there's always something going on behind Tom Hanks's eyes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Andy is, and as played by Tim Robbins, which is not a criticism of the performance, it is a choice Mm -hmm. that he made, is, as you said, a blank slate. Mm -hmm. And so for me to connect, I would have appreciated a little bit more to connect to. Well, and that's fair, and I think that would have uh, removed it from being a man's movie. Oh, interesting. Be- a man, because Tom Hanks crosses genders. 
Yes. He does. People, yes. women and men, absolutely love Tom Hanks. That's why everyone can, thinks he's like the, the second coming of Gary Cooper, that kind of thing where he is like, he's revered by people, you know, on both sides, mm-hmm. but genders, both genders. And But I think that's why the Tim Robbins choice is correct here because it would have been easy to be to champion Tom Hanks and you know to do all this kind of, like you would have been with True. him on the journey but with Tim you have to do the work a little bit True. and understand this man and this is why if he was warm if he was and Tom Tom can play like we saw in Road to Perdition he can play evil he can play a, like more focused sure. more distant more whatever less hero less heroic but i think with Robbins it's fascinating because it's not easy to like this guy. Yes. And the, in fact, the people around, the other prisoners are the ones who humanize yes. him. Yes. And that's important. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm going to connect this Tom Hanks mm-hmm. dots a little bit further, but as but I want to bring that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brooks. Yeah. That scene was the first time in the movie yeah. that that segment where I was, where I actually really felt something, yeah. where I really connected. And I think... Mm-hmm. I think, and it's hard because this is a movie that came out in the 1994 mm-hmm. and it's 2017, almost 2018. So yeah. the things have changed so much. Um, and, and you know, I was a little frustrated with this movie not really being able to address the prison system or what oh. it's, you know, like, and mm. it, cause it touches on it. Yeah, sure. It does absolutely touch on it. Mm-hmm. And that is, by the way, a Stephen King trope. It is your hero and versus the institution, yeah. right? The institution of prison, the institution of a small town and it, the mm-hmm. institution, the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Brooks sequence, I was like, they got so much done, mm-hmm. so much emotion emotional um so much emotional carrying or you know feeling or whatever yeah, it was yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um in this one segment and mm-hmm. it was really it was really like i loved that scene. well and that's why you cast the way you cast you cast someone like james whitmore who has decades of experience as an actor both on stage mm-hmm. and uh on camera like he was well known for playing this Mark Twain for 30 years mm, on stage, the one man show, like yeah. the one that Kilmer does yeah. now, uh, Whitmore had done a version of it for decades. Sure. And so when he comes in, his characterization of Brooks, you know, he's an older guy. He, you know, even when he's wheeling the books, he looks, he, it, there's little things he does as, as an actor, you watch other actors and you watch the little things that make yes. them real. And it's the looking into the cell to see if someone's there before he goes book and then back he does not just walk by, go book, mm-hmm. book. There's more to him, and so you know the thing with the the, the bird, everything like that, mm-hmm. makes you care about him because he is a sweet man. Yeah. And so when he pulls the knife on William Sadler, and then the, uh, when he walks out there, and then his voiceover. Yeah, the, which, that's the scene that which that's is the, amazing. Yeah, that right? segment is it the marbles, letters. Because this is the this is the one that uh, pushes Morgan Freeman into voiceover world. This yeah. is the one where everyone's like, I want Morgan Freeman to narrate my life. Right. Right. This film, but. James Whitmore's voiceover is just as good as anything Morgan Freeman Absolutely. does in the movie in that sequence, and you feel his you feel the, the his pain, so that when he does what he does, it's just heartbreaking, and you can understand it. Yeah, because there is a point where you're just too tired, and he says, "Everyone's gone. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of feeling afraid all the time," mm-hmm. and that's a really powerful thing. And when my father was dying of cancer, this is one thing he he considered suicide before he died because the pain was so intense yeah. and so much. And he said, 
I just, I just, I'm tired of being afraid of every move I make with my body causing me incredible amount of pain. Yeah. And so you understand it. And I think, once again, I think this is why it's a man movie because we've seen our fathers die, our grandfathers die. We've seen them in pain as they you know, confront the end of their lives. And so we, we relate to that in that moment. And right. you, no shock. Like maybe there's a lot that you don't relate to or you don't connect to, but in that moment we connect to because you've had a grandfather, you've had a father. You like you, you or a see person. Or I a mean, person. any right. person yes. who person. lives in this, who gets institutionalized, Absolutely. as Morgan, as he mm -hmm. says, mm -hmm. you know, it's and and that was something that connected to me as somebody who I know this sounds like silly, but mm. or not silly, but like I'm like campaigning or something, but I really do care about prison reform. Yeah, like I care about the idea that that you. We can't. We we have more incarcerated people yeah. in our country in the U.S. I mean, it's it's insane. Oh yeah, and and we can't. We're not e equipping people to re be rehabilitated or or be ready mm -hmm. to go out. And so it's like these. It's it's so. I have an empathy and a sympathy for this man who's like, this is the, the one thing I've known my whole life. Yeah. Now what do I do? Right. Well, honestly, it's it's truly, it's retirement. Mm -hmm. Lots of people who yep. reach a certain age, once they either are forced into retirement or have to retire and yeah. their life has been their, their job has been their life for however many decades, right. they don't know what to do with themselves. And right. they a lot of them, people get sick and die. Yeah. In, you know, because especially here in the US, you know, we work Work, work is, I think, too important to us culturally. Yeah, sure. But, um, but yeah. So, like, just seeing seeing that hum human beings and how human beings. I think it was a, it was a real, um, human sequence, mm -hmm. and that letter is just like such a such humanity. Well, and I think there are two things here. I, I do think Clark, he, he, they do subtly kind of go after the institution because they make the head guard corrupt. They do. They, they make the warden corrupt. Mm -hmm. Um. But they also show how Andy fights against the system right. in the only way he can, by writing those letters for the books, by helping the guards out in a certain way so he gets some kind of respect. And the guards don't just use him and toss him to the curb. They use him, but they also give him beers or they get him, yeah. you know, get him set up in a certain way, but they're still lording over them, right? Mm -hmm. So there is the corruption there of this idea because you wear a badge or you have a gun or you have a stick, you can tell these people what to do and you can treat them in inhumane ways. Mm -hmm. So there is the subtlety of that. There is the villain. The villain is the warden totally. of the prison, right? Yes. But I do hear your point about... Uh, ref prison reform. I just don't know if this was the movie to do because and of where it's set yes. and the time. And the majority of the prisoners that you see are white, you know, whereas nowadays it's majority African-American or Latino yes. versus white. Yes. And that's where the systemic issues are uh, that we're aware of now at this time are absolutely things we need to address. But Brooks has to take some responsibility here, so I will push back a little bit on that. Brooks didn't prepare himself to leave. Brooks mm -hmm. knew his parole was coming up, mm -hmm. knew he might get paroled. Why wasn't he like, Andy, I don't want to do it there. Will you teach me what it's like out there? Will anybody teach me what it's like out there? Well, did he do? So at some point, you have to take personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Brooks, at some point, reaches that where he doesn't care anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when he walks out there, he's unprepared. And so when because he's unprepared, He's not willing to deal with the hits and the the the, the emotional stuff that comes along, and takes the, and chooses the path that he just chooses. And I have no problem with the path he chose. I think yeah, every every man has a right to take his life mm -hmm. or not take his life. I never judge anybody for that. Um, but he did not prepare himself for the outside world when he had people who have access to the outside world that he could have been talking to or preparing himself for. So there are there is 
there is a great point what you're saying that they did the prison didn't prepare him to get out there but then again you have to take responsibility if you have to prepare yourself do too. you know a lot of, how old would you say brooks was when probably he got out 70s probably do, do you know a lot of like 50s 60s year old men or people yeah. who are able to change their entire lifestyle like i yeah. guess what i'm getting at is like i can't, i don't really fault brooks in that way um because you know, mm -hmm. this idea of teaching an old dog new tricks, I think, has some merit. Sure. As I watch my parents get older, right. the the things that they do that drive me crazy, it's just like, why are you this way? <laughs> and I've gotten to a point where I'm like, you're never going to change, yeah, and yeah. I must accept it. So I just wonder, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's impossible. No, no, it's not, not impossible. No, no. Um, and people do it all the time. And, and Brooks was set up in a way where it's like you get a here's your house here's your job was. here's your routine yes. um but i think the idea of being fulfilled and the idea of communication and friendship and love right. and brotherhood or Removing family yes. exactly yes. like like putting a person just like go okay mm -hmm. your whole life goodbye right. you're always you're being deported <laughs> you're being deported from jail which In is essence. crazy mm -hmm. um but uh but yeah so and and just to be clear i want to say because i <clears throat> i talk about this a lot and i and i have i thought about it a lot with mm -hmm. regards to watching this movie mm -hmm. um I am not faulting the film for being for not being the thing that I want it to be. Right. I think that I think that in our line of talking about movies or any honestly even just being a fan now, mm -hmm. people are so critical of things because it's not the thing they wanted it to be. And so you didn't make the movie I wanted to see and therefore this movie <laughs> sucks. And it's like, well, no. And so that's yeah. not what I'm saying, but I what I am getting Okay, so here's the segue from the Tom Hanks thing. Mm -hmm. The Green Mile is next. Yes. And The Green Mile... Also a prison film. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Also based on a Stephen King mm -hmm. novel starring Tom Hanks, also directed by Frank Darabont. So I thought to myself a little bit... You, well, I wrote it all the way through these notes. Like, the <laughs> idea that it never comes up in this movie that Red is black. Right. Nobody ever nope. says a word to him, mm -hmm. treats him differently, um, which for the time period seems suspect to me. Okay. Do you? What do you think about I, that? I, I want to be a thousand percent honest yeah. with you. I never thought of it. Wow. And, and I think because, and I'm so in tune with the racism stuff. Of course. Having you know grown up Latino and everything like that. Uh, but for me, it's because there are certain actors that transcend it, that it you don't even think about it because uh -huh. they are so just who they are and it's yeah. irrelevant that they're black. Like, and I don't mean that in a negative way, uh -huh. you're removing their, their, their uh, blackness. I mean that it doesn't matter. Like it didn't matter to me that Tim Robbins was white. It didn't matter to me that, that uh, uh, Red was black. I grew up, my, my best friend, still my best friend is black. And so for me, yeah. it was never... An no. issue. So when I, when I saw it in the movie, nobody made a big deal of it. And they made him essentially the leader of the crew of yeah, those guys, those white did, dudes. Yeah. Um, so it never bothered me because they put him in a position of power. Okay. So here's what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is that 
first of all, knowing Stephen King like I know his writing, mm-hmm. he does not shy away of introducing racial strife sure. into his sure. stories. Um, he's, in fact, very aware of, of a lot of people would argue too much. A lot mm-hmm. of people would argue he's too fond of, uh, and, and th- a lot of people argue a lot of things about African-American characters yeah. in Stephen King's work. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like... For instance, this warden, mm-hmm. okay? This warden is corrupt, mm-hmm. he's abusive, he's all of these, he's a power hungry. Mm-hmm. And the idea that like this that the that Red's race mm-hmm. as a prisoner mm-hmm. doesn't come up once. Yeah. It was like Wait a second. This is 1940 whatever. Yeah, it's 1949 to 1966. So or 47 to 66. This is a hugely racially charged time Mm -hmm. in this country. Right. And so it felt like it felt weird. And I don't mean like, oh, this is missing. You know, I want it to be here. But if you're telling a story like this, I'm like. How does this not come up? This I, is a great point. I, I, I take your point absolutely, and, the, and and the, I know that I see your shock that it didn't occur to me. No, I'm, and it never has. I think because because I grew up in the South, and it wasn't always like not everywhere you go is racist, and so there are people who like have no problem that other people are black and everyone. So I see your point. It's a movie that could have highlighted absolutely. I think you have a valid point bringing that up and saying that. I just think I just didn't have an issue with it not being in the movie. Um, and I've experienced, and we've seen like where, like Mudbound, yes, he deals with certain things black, but he came back with a white friend and it's, they're both like, they don't care. And so, but he deals with it outside of their relationship. He doesn't deal with it in their relationship. And I think my- and I think in prison, it can be, at, maybe in prison at that time, it wasn't like it is now where you have to be part of the Aryan nation, part of Latinos, totally. and part of the black population. This is more integrated type thing. I think what I'm getting into, getting it to is- I found it more positive than negative. The lead guard and the warden. Yeah, sure. Not Andy Dufresne or the guys that fought, that right, are right, right, part right. of Red's group. Like that, that gotcha, I gotcha, don't gotcha, mean. Gotcha. I, I mean the idea that, that it wouldn't come up for these guys who have been proven to be atrocious mm-hmm. on all levels. See, but then again, Stephen King writes dark fairy tales. Yeah. I mean, you That's know, a great so, so Needful Shawshank Things is a incredibly dark fairy tale. And and, yeah. and Castle Rock yeah, Castle. and Shawshank is like is like a I mean, as we see so to connect it back to the mm-hmm. Green Mile, um is a place or a foundation where you're teaching parables or lessons. It's like mm-hmm. Derry, Maine is not a real place, but it like it could be, but it's also a place where interdimensional beings can come and teach you a lesson. Right. And and Shawshank is 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 a place that looks like a prison and feels like a prison, but also this is a fairy tale that is happening within this prison. Yeah. Um and so with the Green Mile, part of me felt a little bit like it was course correction on Darabont's part. Mm, like like we're taking a narr- we are diving head on mm-hmm. into this issue mm-hmm. of of race and especially within a prison system mm-hmm. and especially dealing with incarceration um uh, you know and and I, I just i don't know I, I couldn't help but think of the green mile how they're almost like um they really are opposite ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. intentionally they're not the same story i get that but right. i just mean for this director 
to watch this movie and it's it's almost granted I know there's anal rape and murder and all kinds of horrible <laughs> things but um but this movie felt squeaky clean to me it felt it mm -hmm. felt pretty it felt like pristine you well, know that's why it's on the cheers list exactly because it's about it's hopeful it's hopeful and that's yes. the whole point of the movie of is course. to create the hope whereas Green Mile and you're right and I don't know if it's course correction but I'm sure you can make a case but this it's a different story because mm -hmm. he's such a black man in size and color and he killed two little white girls mm -hmm. or he's been so there's racism already within the inherent story of him whereas red killed another black man and that's why he's in prison it's not inherent in his story mm -hmm. and so with with green mile it is which is why when he gets taken out of the prison to go to you know to go heal right. that the warden's wife and all that there is a bit of that dealt with and of course the evil guy who tries to you know tries to kill him and whatever and all those kinds of things that happen and what happens to him all of that that's there because it's inherent in the story and his character. Sure. And I don't think it's inherent. If Red was the focus of the movie, I think that would have been definitely a color in the film. And that's what I, another thing I wrote down was mm. like, I want to see Red's story. Yeah, sure. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. And um, again, not this movie. I get it. Right. But, but that, that character was so, you know, it was, it was odd for a man who had lived such a life. I mean, the idea of, do you remember offhand how old Red was when he was sent to jail? Because he uh, yes. must have been young. He's 19 yeah, or something so like that. Yeah, so he's a 19-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the racism. The sentence that he got was l almost life. Yeah. And at that time, that's so, so there is a little bit of the inherent racism in the sentence he was given for killing one man, another black man, uh, at a young age. And he says that in his parole at the end. Mm -hmm. He says, do I, do I want to... You know, tell that young kid, young punk kid, not to blah blah blah. Yeah, every damn day, you know. And so that's there is, but he was sentenced for such a long time. Yeah, and that's how it was back then towards black prisoners. Is is now? Yeah, towards black prisoners. So there is that, but they never address it. And so yes. there is a valid point there, absolutely. And Clark. I wrote that down yeah. at the end, like finally at the end in Red's yeah. in his speech. Yeah. Um, you know, he says that, and I and I wrote down. I want more from this scene. Like, mm. and I also wrote down, this is more than just a feel good moment. That's what I, mm -hmm. so watching with fresh eyes, Red's final parole scene, yeah. it feels like a feel good moment because he gives this speech to the young guy and he goes, so I don't give a shit, whatever. And then stamp approved. And everybody goes, cheers list. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I was like, cool, but, Wait a second. Can we stay with this a little longer? You know. Well, I don't. I. Uh, uh, mm, interesting. I. I don't know if. I think for me, because of what happened with Brooks, uh -huh. when you see paroled, it actually scares Scary. me. Scary. Yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And because you see him repeating the same beats, he goes to the. Uh, he goes to the hotel or the room, the apartment that Brooks had. He sees Brooks was here up on there. He goes to yeah. bagging. You know, he asked to ask to go piss, and the yep. guy says, "You don't have to ask me to go piss." He calls him boss, mm -hmm. which is the whole like black in the South back then. That's how you addressed your the white bosses. You would say boss, boss. Can I do this, mm -hmm. boss? Can I do that? And so you see that, and you think he's going to repeat. He, even when he stops and looks at the guns, like he that's a step further than Brooks had. Mm -hmm. So he thought about his own way to go back to prison or to kill himself, and it isn't until he gets Andy's that till he, you know, gets the post or whatever it is that he decides to go 
and explore this possibility. Uh -huh. And I think that's where the cheer comes, is when he finds the rock, reads Andy's letter, gets on the bus, takes the chance to be caught skipping parole, and goes to Mexico. That's the cheer. And his voiceover is really powerful there. And But but him, when he gets paroled, and I think that's a lesson when he gets paroled, that speech when he gets paroled, because it's every the uh, previous two times, he was telling them what they wanted to hear. Yeah. This time he says, I don't give a fuck because right. I know, I don't know what that, what I know what that word means to you, mm -hmm. but I'll tell you what it means to me. And, and he, he says it. So he says, you can write whatever you want to write on that little paper, Sonny, and stop wasting my fucking time. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And that is once again, self-actualization. It is who I am. What Andy does at the end to crawl through that river of shit, mm -hmm. which is metaphorical and literal, sure. uh, is to come out clean on the answer. It is because what he says when he's against the wall to Red, he says, whatever crime I did, whatever stuff I, I, I've paid for, and then some. Mm -hmm. And that is what you, that's for self-forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And that's really important too. That's why I think the film is deceptively psychologically ahead of its time in what it's talking about. Because it's saying, you can make mistakes in life, we all make mistakes in life, but you have to learn to forgive yourself too. After you've atoned for them in a certain way, Forgiveness is really important too, because if you can give it to everyone else, you have to also give it sure. to yourself. And I think that's what Andy discovers and Red discovers as well. Because Red, when he's saying that, when about like, I want to go back and stop that young punk kid from blah blah, that's him forgiving himself mm -hmm. once and for all for what he did. Yeah. And but Clark, you make a great point. Like, I would love to see more of Red too. I would love to see a prequel of Red yeah. up until Andy shows up. The film ends when Andy shows up. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, it would be. Mm -hmm. It would be great. Um, so all right, well. Um, what else? Is there anything else about the Green Mile that we haven't the touched on? Or the Green Mile. <laughs> I can see what you prefer. Freudian. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I will say, okay, mm -hmm. quick anecdote just to let you go, guys know that I am in um, Christmas break mode yeah, and man. haven't stopped eating candy <laughs> since like December 20th. Uh, I took an appointment yesterday. I had an appointment and, and I was like, I was like, I'm going to drive myself there. GPS, you know, will you tell me how long it'll take? <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to get on Laurel Canyon, and I'm going to take Laurel down there. And GPS was like, stop doing this. This is wrong. <laughs> this is not where you need to go. Because I was headed to Westwood and oh. needed to be on cold water. Oh, right. And I got halfway down the canyon and went, Oh, GPS, I know <laughs> what you were saying. And the moral of the story is I've taken this drive 1,000 times right. and I got on the wrong, like I just did it completely wrong. <laughs> um, and so I say that to say I am I am a little bit uh, scatterbrained, no. but Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything about this movie that we haven't touched on that, that you want to talk about? Yeah, I think the... Um this, this and I and I only touched on it briefly when we were talking about this idea that and it's really important that it shows you you can find hope and that's really important and you see all the strikes go against Andy throughout the whole movie. You know, he gets raped by these guys and it, it shows you what prison is really like. Prison scares the fuck out of me. And it's when you and I will say this, like I don't know if a lot of like if there are any minority listeners, but we when from birth our life is avoiding prison. Like as a Latino, I, and I can speak for some of my friends who are African-American who said the same thing, our goal is to avoid prison from, from birth, at least my generation. It was something that was really prevalent uh, and possible for any number of reasons because we'd seen unfair sentences, we'd seen all that kind of stuff go on through history. And we were just, when I was born, we're just coming out of civil rights. Just coming out of, so the act was signed like literally two years before I was born. So it's like, there's still a country in transition. 
very racist and it's still now and you can see that in the trump stuff you can see that in the all these you know uh, uh nazi and white supremacist shit going on it's still very inherently racist and that's unfortunate so prison scares so when i see a movie like this you see it, it scare you even more because the idea of being anally raped i mean that's huge for most men it's like incredibly fearsome and to see it happen i'd like that the film did not shirk its responsibilities in showing you how horrific prison can be. Um, and you don't want to end up there because there are terrible things. Like just from the beginning, when they all come in and they're being like persecuted by the other prisoners, see who's going to break first, who's going to win the bet, you, your humanity is erased. And that's what prison does. It erases your humanity because it forces you to become a survivalist at whatever cost. And the film shows you that over and over and over again. Andy is the light of all these people. Andy is the light, which is ironic because he is so cold-hearted at times. But he is the light, and he shows you that there's a possibility. You know, he talks about hope all the time. Even Rad tells him near the end before he makes that decision, when he finds out that guy's been killed and he comes out of solitary, two months of solitary, you know, he says, got to get busy living or get busy dying. Uh, Red says to him, I don't think you should have these thoughts anymore, man. Because he's put up with it for 19 years. I don't mean in a negative way. I mean like he's he knows this is part of Andy's personality. But now he cares for him and loves him so much that he doesn't want to see him torture himself, you know, in believing. And, and who doesn't have that person in our life who's like, who sees us when we're pursuing our dreams at our darkest moments saying, maybe you should stop doing this. Maybe you shouldn't pursue your dreams. It's costing you so much. But Andy says the one thing, and then I'll say this because personally, that's why this movie means so much to me. At the time in 94, I was trying to decide what I was going to do with my life. And I was halfway through my four years of, of being in the military. I didn't have the guts to become an actor coming out of high school. I tried to do it in college, my first trip through college. That was a mess. My first two years of college were a mess. I joined the military to run away. And um, in 94, when you, I'm, I'm the age that I am, I'm watching this movie. And when he says that, get busy living or get busy dying, it struck a chord in me, like really deep. For whatever reason, and I think what this why movies are powerful. This is why we're doing this podcast, why I do what I do with what you do, what you do for movies. Like movies affect us and move us and change our lives so much. And this film really does that. And it did it for me in that line. And I remember I went back and saw the movie four times in the theaters after that. And because I start something really small, like a flame got reignited inside me to start the process. And I started going to a community college at night to get my AA degree again and get into another college. So I got to Florida State. So this film is really integral in changing my life to pursue what I wanted to do with my life because of what he said, get busy living or get busy dying. Because I was so frustrated in the military and unhappy that I wasn't pursuing my creative instincts. There wasn't a lot of things to do that in the military, a lot of opportunities. So when he said that, I realized I have to take control. And so my entire life has been proactively pursuing the things that I want to do. Did I have stumbling blocks or whatever or, or, or obstacles and challenges and detours yes but and this is what I come back to Brooks this idea of proactive and so I don't fault Brooks at all there are people who just for whatever reason but for me that this movie ironically is the movie that pushed me to pursue the things that I pursue and no matter what the, who knows what the results gonna be in the, in the end Clark but for me this movie changed my life in that way because it made me realize I've got to go and create my life however I need to create it and pursue it as, as fervently as I need to pursue it because it's get busy living or get busy dying. There is no middle ground because the middle ground is death. And that, for me, the way I'm built. And so that's why the film resonates with me so powerfully. Yeah, that's really sweet. Um, so 
what is okay so we've talked a little bit about the general list yeah, yeah. here <laughs> um and uh and where you think the Shawshank Redemption yes. should be not the green mile <laughs> the Shawshank not Redemption. the green mile um so everybody gets to uh, have an addition to the list yeah what is your secret addition to the list okay i've spoken about this a couple times in other podcasts but it's one that i i will bang the drum for over and over again, it's uh, Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind. Oh, a great choice. That is great in my choice. top five films ever made. Or top ten, actually. Um, and I rewatched it again for the pot for this. Oh, yeah? Yeah, this morning, which is a very tough watch for me Ugh. because it, it's a film that if you're going through something or you're, or you're in something like the exploration of relationships, it's one of these films that came along, along with Punch Drunk Love, it came along at a time when I think we as a pop culture, as a, as a culture itself, as a society, was changing our points of views about romantic comedies, about romance, about relationships. And we were seeing it finally on the screen. There wasn't, like when Harry Met Sally is great, beautiful romantic comedy, romantic comedy is great. They're not reality for the most part. Eternal Sunshine is reality. And that's what can happen. And it's in a fantasy, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's in a yeah, it's told in a fantastical way, but it ex explores how memories are so powerful inside us when it comes to relationships. This idea, and who hasn't had the thought of God? I'd love to erase just the memory of her or him, so I can move on, so I can be happy again. And we want to go through, like I hear this all the time from people who go through breakups, and myself too, is like, I just want to be on the other side of it already. Because going through the breakup and the missing and the wanting to call and the not sure if you should or not, seeing their Facebook, seeing their Instagram or their Twitter or running into them accidentally, like, or seeing them with someone, all that is horrific to experience if you're a tender-hearted person or a sensitive person. It's very difficult. And this film, really, for the first time ever, to, in my opinion, showed what a relationship is really like, both the beautiful moments and the sweet moments and the tender moments, but also the anger and the frustration and the fights you can have uh, even when you're in love with someone and how how hard those fights can be. And so this is a film that I, I really enjoy. And Jono has never done another film that comes close to this. Like Science of Sleep was cool, but it wasn't great. And there were other things he'd done, but nothing has ever come close to Eternal Sunshine. And Jim Carrey, is incredible in this yeah, movie. so good in it. Right? And you are blown. This is a guy who was talking out of his ass seven years earlier mm -hmm. on in, in Ace Ventura. And here he is delivering this incredibly powerful performance. And I put this on par with Robin Williams and Goodwill Hunting, with Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love, in my opinion. There, there are these comics who can reach this dramatic level because comedy is drama, essentially turning on its head and... When the good ones are really good at it, and I think Jim is great, and Kate Winslet's fantastic. And Winslet said, "Like I read the script, I persecuted the director to get me in this film because he wanted to cast an American actress, and I wanted to do it so badly. So to see their chemistry and how raw the film is is pow is powerful." I do agree. Eternal Sunshine is one of those movies that I have seen maybe twice. Maybe wow. I own it. I, I okay. have it. Because um, it's tough to walk into it, isn't it? I don't want to watch that yeah. movie ever. <laughs> and when you <laughs> and it's it's just because it feels yeah. so like we have all been there. And mm -hmm. when you were talking earlier about like going through the breakup, I mean, 
I'll be honest with you, like, right, and I'll say this because he doesn't listen to the podcast. My, the person I'm dating now yeah. is somebody I've been dating for almost nine months, mm -hmm. and I'm a grown-up now. He's a grown-up, and there's, you know. Did you grow up through the relationship? No, what I mean. you grow up now? I mean. <laughs> I think I mean, you were grown up when you got into the relationship. I did, but what I'm saying is, like, I ain't getting any younger. Oh. And, no, but what I'm saying is, like. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying, God, I probably need to. Cut hey, guy, <laughs> put a ring on it already. That's not. Uh, I think that's what she's saying. That's not what I'm saying. That is not what I'm saying, and that's why I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. What I mean is, though, when you get to a certain age, you know yeah. what you're looking for. Yep. You know what kind of relationship you want to be in, even if it's not, you know, put a ring on it type mm. of thing. Even if it's just like I'm in this, and this is a person I choose to be with. Right. Right. It's not that I'm settling. It's not that I'm. Oh, I'm dating around trying to mm -hmm. figure it out. I'm in that in between. I'm in I'm not in that space or the other space. I'm in the space where it's like no, no no no, I know what I want. Mm -hmm. And once I'm in a situation where I feel as though I am getting mostly what I want, I want to stay in that situation. Right. And recently I've had the thoughts, you know, of like good god, what's going to happen when this is over? Wow. And or or if You it, mean you've been considering Ending it? No. You, okay. I'm saying like you, if it ends. If it ends, ah. because because what would what would I? Mm -hmm. How how would I come out on the other? I just want to mm -hmm. be on the other side. It's right. like it's playing this mind trick of like I would want to <laughs> hypothetically if my if and when my relationship ends, I want to yeah. fast forward a year or however long, and it is. It is so upsetting mm -hmm. if you are an emotional, sensitive person, mm. which I think you and I yep. both are, sure. um, to to even contemplate. And so to be, to revisit, to be in that world mm -hmm. for two hours or however long it is, is just like, I don't want to. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you. And it's 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 an hour and four. It's, I, I rewatched it this morning and, you know... Um, uh, people who know who listen to my stuff, they know that like I, I, I was in a five year relationship. It was, it was just devastating for me because mm -hmm. I really wanted to marry her, and I thought we were set. We'd known each other in high school. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought this was it, and it just never worked out. And no matter how hard we both tried to make it work, it just couldn't quite. The pieces couldn't quite fit. There was too much outside shit, too much X factors, and like you, it's when I started to see the end of. I didn't want to see the end of right. it. And so when it ended, it destroyed me. I'm just two years later, finally recapturing the confidence in myself as a potential mate and what have you because of the work I've done yeah. for two years in therapy and also like reading books and exploring this kind of thing. Because you're right, coming, it's the breakup is, and the film does that. Yeah. And, and it shows too messed up. Like the thing is that no one's at fault. You know, uh, Clementine is, she says who she is from the beginning. She's like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not your savior. I'm a, I'm just a fucked up girl trying to find her peace of mind. Um, Jim Carrey's an emotionally repressed character um, in this movie. So they're both, they both have their faults walking into this relationship, Absolutely. but we all do. Right. And, and you're right. And it's when we're older that we're, that we approach it differently. They're kind of in their early thirties. So they're still trying to figure out who they are in a way. And so they rip each other to pieces in this relationship, but that's what happens sometimes. But at the end though, he still wants to try. Yeah. And I think that's because no matter what, you cannot help who you're going to be attracted to. Now, who you decide to be in a relationship with, that's another ballgame. But who you're attracted yes. to, you can, no matter if your mind gets erased, your memory gets erased, there are there is chemistry that is unexplainable between people. And when it clicks, it clicks the way it clicks. 
And maybe because they've been through what they've been through and they've come out the other side as we talk about, they're more aware of themselves Mm -hmm. and aware of each other so that when the issues come up, they're going to be able to talk about it Mm -hmm. as opposed to judge each other and tear each other to pieces and say little passive aggressive comments that destroy love. That destroy love between two yeah, people. Yeah, that's and, great. And I think that's it. what at the end, because people always ask, like, do you think they survived the relationship after the end of the movie? And I go, I don't know, but I think they had a better shot at it coming out of it. And I think what, was it, when you go through the breakup, when you come out the other side, like you said, you know what you want. You're a better person. So to me, I'm a better person having gone through that incredibly horrible situation in the last two years of recovering from it because I finally understand what I want. And it isn't this romantic view of love anymore. And it's like, let's just fall into love and let's right. just let's just hold hands and run through, run. Like she says she wants to marry him like within the first night she meets him. And all that stuff to me is how I used to think about love is this romantic notion when Harry met Sally, you meet the, all this kind of shit. And maybe that does happen for some people. But for me, I found that that was coming from a place of wanting to, uh, of insecurity and wanting to just have somebody to validate my self-worth when the real power is embracing your self-worth and your self-confidence before you even walk into a relationship. So then the person may hurt you, may damage you, but who you are at the core is never destroyed. And that's important. And that's what you learn coming out of a relationship. So that's the unfortunate truth of breakups. And I think the film shows that in, in a microcosm, yeah. you know, and it's, it's a fantastic film that still works. Still, we're all these years later, still works, 2004, I think. Yeah. So yeah. It's so good. Mm. Great choice. Great Thank choice, you. Mr. Roca. Yeah, and see it if you haven't seen it. Put yourself through it. Don't Ugh. listen to Clark and I'm no, no, afraid to watch it. It's true. You should, everybody <laughs> needs to do it at least once. At once, yes. Right? You must do and it. And you can, you can go, this is one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. Never need to see that again. <laughs> Thank you very much. I am all set. Yeah. Where's right. my Liar Liar DVD? <laughs> I would much rather. <laughs> Even Yes Man, which I, which I quietly yes love. Man. I quietly love Stop Yes Man. it. <laughs> um, well, I love it. This has been great. This has been great. And I'm so glad that we got to... I'm really glad that I, we got to unpack Shawshank. Yeah, me too. This was a blast. Thank you, Clark. And you gave me a lot of interesting things to think about when I see it again, like uh, which I really appreciate. I love talking about movies in that way because I love to hear other people's perspective to when I go rewatch something I've seen many times. So that's great. Well, this was a treat. So as thank always, you, thank you, sir. Thank you. It was a blast. friends that's going to do it for me today thank you all so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that episode this is this is a great example of what i've uh, hoped that this show can be and um i really really am glad that i got to watch shawshank redemption and unpack it with john roca that was great um thanks so much again for listening if you haven't already rate review subscribe all those great things and uh the patreon bonus episode will be out this thursday see you then Thank <music> you.